<laughs> Keeping ourselves in position to receive from God. We talked a little bit last week about, well, we talked about some things we got way off and so I don't remember exactly everything we talked about, but it was good. We had fun. But we know that in Christ we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now we are partakers of the divine nature of God. We no longer have the sin nature once we receive Christ that compels us to be obedient to Satan. We are no longer (coughs) his slaves, but now we are slaves of righteousness, as the Bible says. We are in league with Christ and with the Father in heaven. We are led and taught here in this world by the Holy Spirit. And we have a better covenant now with better promises than the one we're about to hear about. But still, sin has a part to play. Um, There are still consequences to sin. God is not judging our sin as He once did in the Old Covenant and all the people that combine the two and don't think that the difference between Malachi and Matthew is just a blank page. It's there for a reason. Big difference between then and now. Jesus bore our sin, our punishment, our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, our poverty, our strife on His body on the tree. Everybody know what double jeopardy is? means you can't be tried for the same crime twice. Jesus paid the ultimate price for all of our sin. You say, well, that was my past sin. Well, all of your sins were future sins when He paid for them. Amen. But, let me, don't get ahead of myself. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and I'm going to read from this. I might read the whole thing. David was the king of Israel. He had just... Let me just back up and just tell you just a few lines from the previous chapter. These are... The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and he fought with them and the Syrians fled before Israel. David killed of the Syrians the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shabak, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadazer saw that he had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Anyway, good things. David was very successful. I was just pointing out a little bit of that. You see, he had just had great victories. And I think he about beat all of his enemy, all those ites in the Old Testament who were the enemies of God. David had beat them one after another and he was, he was doing good, flying high. And then as we begin chapter 11, I want to point something out. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. 
When kings go out to battle, it's, there's a time for that, he says. And, and this was that time when kings go out to battle, right? David sent Joab, his general, and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walked. Late one afternoon he arose from his couch. <laughs> Been laying around all day. At the time when King is off to go off to war and he sent somebody else. He's bored. He's being lazy. He rose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not that this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, her husband. Hurry and get him back here, right? And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. A lot of conversation here with somebody who's just a soldier from the king. Then he gets to the point. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why do you not? did you not go to your house? He's wanting him to kill him to his house in a hurry and sleep with his wife so he can blame it and he can say it's his, right? Cover up his sin. <coughs> Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He's a good man. He's an obedient servant. He's a good soldier. He loves his country. He loves his king. He loves the soldiers he serves with. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, and then he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, the general, and sent it by hand, by the hand of Uriah. He had him take the note. This is such a good guy, he's not going to look at it. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. He sent this guy with his own death warrant for the king's sin. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there would be valiant men 
And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David. Among the people fell, others died as well. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? This is something they wouldn't normally have done. So people died needlessly besides the one he wanted dead for no reason. Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Let him know that this was to accomplish his purpose, right? So the messenger came and went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. We drove them back to the entrance of the gate. And the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The next 12 or 13 chapters talk about all the mess that was created from David's mistake. David's sin wasn't a mistake. <laughs> it wasn't a choice. It's a bad choice. It was a bad choice. That child died. That child died. And and then it brought all sorts of problems upon David, his family. His family, you, if you read about David, you'll see that he was, being a father was not his strong suit. He had real trouble with his children. It's all because of this. There was a curse on them, basically. And it also affected his whole kingdom. His wives and his children and the people of Jerusalem suffered because, because of this one thing. And so... And, and you see from the beginning of the chapter that David shouldn't even have been there. He shouldn't have been there being lazy and laying around. This was the time when kings go off to war and he stayed home. He started reading his own press. He got, you know, hey, I'm doing great. I think I'm just going to sit this one out. But he shouldn't have. An idle mind, my grandma used to say, is the devil's workshop. A lot to be said about that. But David had put himself out of position. He had put himself in position to be more in line with the devil than with God. So, I just want us to focus today on the fact that God loves us. He saved us. He's made us His children. 
He's forgiven us our sins, but there are still consequences to sin. Well, what it does, it opens up doors to the devil to come into our life. God's not judging us anymore for our sin. It doesn't work like that. When those who stand in the judgment, the white throne judgment, will be judged on their choices made regarding the Son of God in this life. We will stand in a different judgment. We will receive rewards and we will lack some rewards. Paul says some will come through the fire smelling like smoke. <laughs> but all the hay and stubble will burn up and only the precious things will, will be left. Those are the things that we did out of the proper motivation, out of love for God and His people in this life. Amen? Romans 6.16 Go over there. Tells us I'm going to back up to verse 12. Romans 6.12 Let not sin I'm going to back up one more verse to verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not. That means if, if, if the Bible gives us an instruction, that means God has given us the ability to carry that out. Isn't that cool? Let not sin therefore reign because now there's no sin nature. It's been evicted. And now our, our born again spirit has been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Regenerated. Perfect. Forever. We can't discern it with our natural senses. So most people live out of their soulish realm, out of their emotions, their mind and will. Which has been programmed by the world for the most part. And this is the only way to reprogram it and get it right with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then this body will just follow suit. If you can get your mind, your soul in line with your born again spirit. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. A lot of people say, I saw some people that they really wanted to love God. The church that I ministered at. And they were very talented people. And uh, they destroyed a church. Because they, they wanted to have it both ways. They wanted to live in total sin. And, uh, and drag others into it. I mean, and, uh, and serve God too. And... And it just destroyed, uh, I've seen it destroy lots of churches, that, that sort of thing. And they would say things like, they, would, they had a misunderstanding about grace. They had this universalist 
which is a universalism uh, church that's going around. They had that mentality. And if you talk to those people, very because they, they like Jesus, and you might think, oh, okay, cool, I'll go to church with you. Careful. <laughs> Careful. They, they've taken and ruled out almost everything in here. Anything that goes against their desire to live the way they want to. There's, they say there's no literal hell. There's, you know, everybody goes to heaven. I'm okay, you're okay. You can embrace all the different religions. Well, God didn't send His Son here to be a sin offering for us and to die a terrible death just to be one of the ways to get to heaven. Nevertheless, so, even Paul even answers it. Oh, and, that, and they would say things like, well, the grace of God, I'm under grace. They would say they would exactly the opposite of what this is saying. They'd say, we're not under the law. We're under grace. Yeah, but this says sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. The grace of God empowers us to be and to do all that God has called us to be and to do. The grace of, the, of God is the power of God available to Christians in this life. Free of charge. Paul answers, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. And there's an exclamation point there. The closest Paul ever came to cussing probably right there. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. The point that Paul's making here, and Jesus says the same thing, I think, in Matthew. But... We yield. We have. We, we still have our free will. We have nothing compelling us to to do bad things, but we sure can, can't we? <laughs> we do, and we thank God that forgiveness is available. But and there's nothing compelling us. You can't say the devil made me do it anymore. If you really have a relationship with Jesus, He's fixed that. But you sure have a choice. And what I want to show you today, and what these scriptures these scriptures are showing us is that when we yield to Satan, we're opening a door for him. And I can prove through this Bible, which is like a legal document, and the new covenant is like a new, a new contract that God made with us. And it's legally binding. He is so pure and so holy and so honest that he holds himself accountable to his own word. So a lot of times people are saying, God, why, if, if you really, if you want me to have this or you want me to succeed or you love me so much, why don't you just fix this? And what, what he's saying is, why don't you live a life of faith? Why don't you trust in me? Because the Bible teaches us that if it's not a faith, it's sin. If we yield to Satan... We open a door for him to legally come into that part of our life, that area of our life. And he will definitely come in. He knows this word. He knows his rights. He is in charge of this world for a time until the Lord returns. 
But we have a covenant. We have we have salvation, which is a protective realm that we can live in, abide in. Now, do good things still happen to bad people? Yeah. But if we suffer for Christ's sake, we're blessed. But there are things that we do, can do, learn to agree and to uh, cooperate with the spiritual laws that God has in place for our good and for our protection. And it will keep us in position to be receiving from God all the time. Just like the law of sowing and reaping that he, he starts out in Genesis and, and it goes th- th- all through the Bible. Jesus said, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand any of my parables. Because it has everything in the kingdom is about seed. Everything is in seed form. He talks about money a lot because that's what people understand that. They know they need it. They know it's hard to let go of, you know. And but he shows that God is a God of percentages. You look at the, the woman, he was sitting there in the in the temple one day with his disciples. And there was these religious hypocrites in their flowing robes and money. And they would make a show of bringing big offerings. and They would tithe of everything, even from their gardens and the money and all that. Put big offerings in. And then there was a little woman who went and she put a mite. The wood is mite. You might have heard this story. She put that, it's like a half a penny. In the offering plate. And Jesus tells his disciples. Look she gave more than all the others. And you know they were like. Huh? You know they were watching these guys. Put big loads of cash in there. He says she gave out of her need. They gave out of their. Excess. And so God is a God of percentages. But this law of sowing and reaping. He says is never going to pass. As long as this world is here. There's going to be summer and winter and this. And there's seed time and harvest. And we know that we're going to, whenever we sow something, if I sow tomato seed, I'm going to get more than I planted, the same thing that I planted, later than I planted. Seed time and harvest. And that's the way it is with everything. Whatever we sow, if we sow peace, if we sow love, we're going to get that back. God says so. It's going to be multiplied back to us. And we don't know. I, I, might, I might do an act of kindness to Sam one day. And he may hate me for the rest of my life. He, that's a bad example. He won't. But, but he may never return that favor to me. But it will come from somewhere. That's why when Christians give, God says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about that and getting it back. And we don't have to. Because the world looks at that person and says, I did this for you. And they accept, expect reciprocation from that person. And they get angry and there's bitterness and there's all sorts of things. But as Christians, we don't have to do that. If God puts it upon our heart to do something for someone, we know that that's a seed sown into our future. And that it doesn't have to come from that person. Matter of fact, it may not. But it's going to be multiplied back to us from others. And that's just something we can get excited about. John 10.10, Jesus was being accused of having a demon. They do this a lot. They always, you know, whenever you're you're trying to do good, the enemy will always turn the tables on you and try to put their sins on you, right? (laughs) That's a 
sort of a political trick too, I think, these days. But John 10.10, Jesus said, oh, I'm in Matthew. I'll just tell you what it says. They told him, this guy has a demon. He goes, no, I'm not of the devil. He said, I came... He said, the thief cometh only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief he's talking about is Satan. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. So, he's, he makes it very clear that this is not complicated. Good God, bad devil. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the, the scripture tells us in Acts, he says, that, don't you know about Jesus of Nazareth who was anointed with power and the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He never turned anyone down. Good God, bad devil. But Satan is the one who wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy. And why are we learning these things? Why is it so important that we understand this? Do you know anybody that gets themselves in a bind and then the last thing that they want to do is turn to God and they run to the enemy instead? They get deeper, deeper still, deeper into the, the darkness that they, that's causing them all the trouble. And many times they'll get mad at God for the situation they're in. And so they run to the one who's really causing it. The enemy of their souls. The one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And then they go to churches and, and these... And if they're in a place that has the wrong doctrine and wrong teachings, which is a whole lot of places, they'll teach them, well, God is... You just don't know with God. He works in mysterious ways. It's not true. There are a lot of things we don't know, but there are a lot of things we do. Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases God. Last week we talked about Jeremiah 29.11.12. says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. That sounds pretty good to me. Good God, bad devil. God's not judging us, but Satan will come in. And eat our lunch and pop the bag. So that's why we want to keep ourselves in position to receive from God. And we want to understand that He loves us and He's good. And He's not judging us for our sin. Matter of fact, He's the one that we go to and confess our sins. Why? So He'll forgive us? No, He forgave you on the cross. The moment you... Re- why is- he-, he-, he forgave the sins of the whole world. So is everybody saved? No. Because you have to receive that free gift by faith, right? With the heart you believe, and with the mouth you confess. The grace of God that has appeared to all men, Titus 2.11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to live godly, right, godly and upright lives in this present evil age. The grace of God has appeared to all men, but not all men have received it. Some will go to hell. That's a real place. But it's not God's fault. 
the Bible also teaches us that it's not his will that any should perish. That's why Jesus is waiting so long to return. He says he's not he's not being slack in returning as some people would consider it to be. But God is merciful and he doesn't he wants everyone to repent and come to the knowledge of Christ so that no one will perish. So God in his mercy is waiting for Jesus to return. He's keeping him from returning just so more can be brought into the kingdom. Because it's only by people's free will that they go to hell. It's not his call. He has provided a way back to himself through Christ. That's the number five. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, creation, sin entered in. Corruption in the garden, right? We were stuck. Nothing we could do. Stuck on four. I had a message one time I preached. Stuck on four. Redemption. God provided the grace. Without Him, we couldn't have done it. So we shouldn't run from Him. We need to run to Him. He's always there with open arms. John, first John, way back in the back. One, seven. Almost done here. First John, one, seven. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Fellowship. We have fellowship. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with, with God. That didn't mean just, just talking to Him. A lot of people pray and then they mark it off their list. And they don't think about Him again all day long. Hey, I'm not, not knocking anyone. I'm just saying, an intimate relationship, which is the meaning of eternal life, according to John 17, 3. When Jesus was praying on that faithful night, He said, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's like giving a definition of eternal life to the Father whom he's praying to. Sounds weird. Why was he doing that? For the benefit of those who were listening. So they would understand. That they would know you, the one true God. This know is the same word they use in Genesis when it said Adam knew Eve and they conceived and had a child. An intimate relationship. Not just talking to one another. There's a, a story I heard one time about an old elderly couple who had been married for about 50 years. And they're still going. He's driving down the road one day, and she's way over next to the window, next to the other door. And they're quiet, and she says all of a sudden, I remember when we used to sit right next to each other. And he said, I never moved. <laughs> Jesus never moved. You know? He's, he's there. He's waiting. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I'll come in and make my home with you. He loves us. <laughs> I, 
I think of another story quickly just about the story that we read today about David and Bathsheba. But there was uh, another couple. <clears throat> Remember the drive-in theaters? Well, we have one out in Tomball now. I don't think, I don't know, I think it's still open, but there used to be pretty, a lot of drive-in theaters. Anyway, this, this guy, <laughs> he tells his wife just before they get to the gate, stop, I'm going to get in the trunk, save the price of admission or whatever. So he gets in, she goes and pays one ticket, goes on in. The problem was when she gets parked in there, they realize the key is in his pocket. And they didn't know what to do. And finally she had to call for help. And by the time it was over, I don't know how many service people were out there. Police had to come and fire department, whatever. By the time it was all over, everybody knew what they had done. And it certainly was not worth the price of one admission. They had to pry open the trunk and all this stuff, which cost them a lot more and the embarrassment, the shame. The same thing happened to David here. And I hope you'll go and investigate now because the Bible is better than any fiction, any novel you can ever read. That baby did die. But... You know what God did? David went in and he he prayed, he fasted and he prayed for that baby. Because there's a story. If you read in chapter 12, the prophet comes and he tells David about a, a story about a man. And I won't get into it now. It's a beautiful story. But it turns out that this, this story that the prophet tells David about this evil man, it was David he was talking about. And he repented. And he told David what was going to happen. And David prayed and fasted for this child. And then they came and told him it died. He got up. He washed his face. He ate. And he went on about his business. They said, what is this? You, you, you weep and you pray for the child. But when it dies, you, you, you don't. He goes, what can I do now? He says, I'll go to him, but he won't come back to me. I can't raise him from the dead. And... But he repented before God and he, he knew that, that God is God and he's not. David got down off of his throne. He repented. And God showed me one time that David, God called him a man after his own heart. And it's like, man, he did some bad stuff. But he said, yeah, but... Without faith, you can't please God. God is looking at our faith. He's looking at our heart, our motivation, right? And he said his greatest act of faith was picking himself up and coming to me, repenting and coming back into the light, into relationship with me. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. We can't hardly lift our head up to look at God. But that's all he wants us to do. He knows our limitations. He understood our failures, our sin before we ever committed them. He knew us before the foundations of the world. And he, when he was knitting us together in our mother's womb, he understood. And he wrote all the days for our life. Now, I believe that all the days that he wrote for our lives, there are some who never really enter into those, those days because they're doing their own thing. 
It's a choice. We have free will, even though we don't nothing compelling us anymore. We're we're uh, we belong to Christ, and we have an option. But the point of today is just that we, when we get out of position, because we will from time to time, just like the first rocket that went to the moon. You ever hear the stories of of the, the testimony of those guys? It's like we have more more. Uh, Technology in this phone right here than they had in the whole world at the time, and they just they based it on mathematical evaluations, calculations. They blasted them off in that general direction, and then they had burners on there, and they did course corrections every ten minutes all the way to the moon. So they went like this, <laughs> zigzagged all the way to the moon, and that's how it is with our salvation, you know. But if we don't stay stay in the line in fellowship with God, how can He? adjust our course you see he wants us to stay close I did a I've done a message many times on the don't don't allow any space uh, the Peter's biggest problem the night of the Lord's betrayal was when uh, they, John followed closely behind them when they after he was arrested Peter stayed back there was a great space between them and that space allowed the enemy to come in and that's the night that he 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 denied the Lord. Of course, we know he repented as well. Because Jesus always wants us to repent. Always wants us to come back. Why do we repent? Why do we go to God and and uh, and confess our sins still, even though He's already forgiven us, so that He know that we know it cleanses our conscience. You understand? He that's very important to Him. We are not to live in condemnation. We are not to live broken and betrayed. We are not to be victims in this world. And we are not to identify as sinners any longer. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus hadn't moved. He's right there waiting with open arms. Amen? You feel His love today? Amen. Father, thank You for this time together in Your Word with Your children. Thank you for all those who will hear this message in the future all around the world. And we just pray for them now. We just thank you, Lord, that those who don't know you will just simply confess their sins to you. Just say, Lord, I, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I accept you now as my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. And then just walk in the light. Walk in fellowship with you, Lord. And don't be afraid of you when they make mistakes. But to run to you and not from you. And don't run into the arms of the one who really wants to kill and steal and destroy the enemy of their souls, the devil. But run to you, the author of life and love and peace. You say in your word that you will keep us in perfect peace as our minds are stayed on you because we trust in you. Help us with this, Lord. Help us to always trust in you, not to be fearful that you out to get us or that you want to harm us. We know that your plans are to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. And really, the only way that we can live and find the peace and love and joy that we're looking for is through you. Thank you for helping us with this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.